0: it's an oldie but a goodie I call it give me the Bible star of gladness gleaming give me the Bible holy message shining thy light shall guide me in the narrow way precept and promise law and love combining till night shall vanish in eternal day and then Psalm 19, which Justin talked about and we sang. The law of the Lord. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Imagine, imagine a child coming home from school complaining of a stomach ache. The mother asks her child, well, what's it feel like? And the child says that he is hungry, starving, in fact. So the mother asks, well, what did you eat for lunch today? And the child responds, I wasn't fed anything. You can imagine if you're that mother, what's racing through your mind right now? And you can imagine this mother getting on the phone calling the school, talking to the teacher to get to the bottom of the situation. She asked the teacher why her child was not fed lunch today. But the teacher responds that, well, all of the students, including her child, went to the lunchroom today. And then she went on to explain actually what was on the lunch menu. It was uh, cheese pizza, potato chips, banana a chocolate chip cookie and milk. Now you're the mom. Now what? So the mom gets off the phone and she repeats back to the child what the teacher told her. And when she asked her child if he went to lunch today where this food was served, he said, well, yes, I did. She then asked him, well, why did you say that you weren't fed anything? To which he responded, I didn't like any of that food, so I didn't eat anything. Now, how do you imagine the rest of that discussion went? Anybody who either has been or can imagine being a parent, you just you you can you can imagine that. The topic the topic that I want to discuss with you this morning. Is uh, not what's on the menu for lunch today uh, nor is it whether or not you like cheese pizza but rather I want to consider the topic of effective preaching and I want to talk about well four things why do we care what does it look like how is it to be received And what are some practical suggestions that I have for you personally? So I invite you to to have your Bibles ready. And I'd like you to uh, first uh, turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. And I want to talk just a little bit about why we as elders care about effective preaching. There are many texts you can go to in the Bible to see what the role of a shepherd is, how that person is described, their character. But I don't know there's a better place to go than to go to uh, Ezekiel 34 and to see a description of shepherds. One of our primary uh, concerns, goals as elders is to see that the sheep of this flock are being fed. Look in Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 11. After describing shepherds that have abused the sheep, shepherds of Israel who have not been responsible in their role, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture... And their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground. And they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. As Boyd, Bob, and I attempt to watch over the souls of, the God, of God's flock of Christians here at Avon Heights, we understand. We understand that we're going to give an account to God for the way that the sheep here have been fed. And if, if the sheep are being fed in good, rich pasture by streams of water where they can graze and then lie down and rest then we will have provided the nourishment by which they can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Our desire is for each one here to grow spiritually. And that, that may sound simple and that may sound noble, but we understand that there's a lot involved in that. And so uh, what I want to do next is to talk about, well, what does effective preaching look like? And there are just so many texts and passages that we could look at in the Bible. And you may, you may think that when we're done that I've overdone my short selection of, of verses. But I'd like to start with a couple of Old Testament uh, passages uh, first in the book of Amos. And I want to look in Amos chapter 7 and read the first, or read, read verses 10 through 17. Amos has had visions in this chapter of a, a locust swarm coming on the people, but God relented. Of a, a fire coming among his people, but but God stopped. And then he shows Amos a plumb line standing by a vertical wall. And he asks him in verse 8, what do you see, Amos? And he says, well, I see a plumb line in the midst of the people. And uh, and God's coming is, I will spare them no longer. He sees the crookedness that exists among his people and judgment is coming. And now I want you to notice the, the, the instruction that he gives uh, Amos here in Amos chapter Uh, Seven and verses 10 through 17. I want you to think about what does effective preaching look like? Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus, Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. And now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in in the city, your sons and daughters will fall by the sword, your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. What does effective preaching look like? Well, uh, Amos was to preach God's Word even when the people did not want to hear it. Effective preaching delivers the message whether or not the audience is being receptive or not. Secondly, look in Ezekiel chapter 3, and we see a kind of a similar situation here, different prophet, uh, different time. But notice what uh, is said to Ezekiel here and to his role as a preacher in Ezekiel 3, the first nine verses. And this is a carry-on from what he has just been told in in chapter 2. But then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel... "'will not be willing to listen to you "'since they are not willing to listen to me. "'Surely the whole house of Israel "'is stubborn and obstinate. "'Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, "'and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. "'Like emery harder than flint, "'I have made your forehead. "'Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, "'though they are a rebellious house.'" Again, the prophet here, Ezekiel, is being told, if you're going to be an effective preacher, I'm going to make you as stubborn as those who are who you are preaching to. And so, uh, let's look now at some New Testament passages, uh, starting with 1 Timothy chapter 4. And let's take a note of what Paul has to say to Timothy, the young preacher, and how... He is to carry out his role of being an effective preacher. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 16. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and and advocate abstaining from foods which god has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by god is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of god and prayer In pointing out these things to the brethren you will be a good servant of christ jesus Constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which, which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. "...until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching... Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. Here, Paul described that if if Timothy, uh, in his teaching, would focus on constantly nourishing on the words of the faith and sound doctrine, and that he would give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to its preaching and to its teaching. So if you think about it, the word was to be read, the word was to be then uh, prodded, to put into practice, and its meaning was to be explained, as we see there in verse 13, to the reading of Scripture, to its exhortation or preaching, and to its teaching. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's read this chapter. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent." to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. I think we see a number of things here about effective preaching. First, we see that it involves reminders and warnings. We see the emphasis on accurately handling God's Word, and we see the need for the gentle correction of those who may be in opposition. As Paul continues his message to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, notice with me beginning in verse 13. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, Equipped for every good work, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul tells Timothy, hey, you preach the word. And as you do so, you be patient and careful as you correct and you rebuke and you encourage. That's what effective preaching looks like. And finally, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul talks about the ministry that has been entrusted to him. And he speaks of it this way. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing." in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, "'Light shall shine out of darkness,' Is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Effective preaching is not about the messenger, it's not about the preacher. Effective preaching is all about God. What I want to look at next then, assuming that God's Word is being taught and is being preached, how is it being received? So look with me in Acts chapter 2. And let's note how early Christians or others in the Bible responded to the preaching of God's Word. In Acts 2 and verse 42, after, after 3,000 were baptized, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That, that's how you receive God's Word. Turn over to Acts 13. Acts 13. Uh, Ryan pointed this out to me uh, last night as we were were talking about this. And he remembered that when the Word was taught here in Antioch of, of Pisidia, it says in verse 42, And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Have you ever been begging that somebody comes back and gives you more uh, preaching? Look in Acts 17. Acts 17. Paul continued to travel and to teach and preach. And when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking some, along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd, and the city authorities who heard these things And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. We see here that these, hearing the Word, were eager to hear, and they were eager to examine the Scriptures to see whether what they were being told was the truth from God's Word. I have two more passages I want us to take a look at, and I'll slow down a little bit here. But I want to go, I want to go next. I want to go to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. want to go to Nehemiah chapter 8. As we get to this section of the book, the, uh, the wall is already complete, but the story is far from over. This chapter gives us a glimpse into who we are as the people of God. We are loved children to whom our Father has lovingly spoken through His Word. And Nehemiah chapter 8 helps us remember this beautiful and defining characteristic of being one of God's children, that we are a family, we are a people of the book. This text provides three challenges to draw each of us deeper into relationship with Jesus by drawing us again and again into his word. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padaiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashpedana, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bonnie, Sherebiah, Jamin, Aqab, Shabbathe, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad. Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book from the law of God translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Then on the second day, the heads of the mother's households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. And they found written in the law how God had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and on the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made boots and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to that day, and there was great rejoicing. And he read from the book of the law of God daily, from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance." Now, on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them, and the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So the first thing that we see here about receiving effective preaching is that these people of God desired to hear from God. Nehemiah 8.1, "...all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel." They came together. Why? Because they wanted to hear the Word of God. They didn't wait to be summoned by Nehemiah or Ezra. Instead, they sent for Ezra so that they could hear from God through His Word. You know, what a powerful picture of a heart that sees God's self-revelation for the treasure that it is. May we too so love and desire the one who has loved us first that we, that we come to meet with him in his word time and time again. The second thing that we see here is that they were attentive to what God said. Nehemiah 8 and verse 3, And Ezra read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Like the remnant of Israel, we serve a God who has powerfully served us and shows himself loving and faithful to us. Yet, all too often, we read his word in a detached and disinterested way. Looking here in Nehemiah chapter 8, What a strong exhortation for each of us. For the ears of the people were attentive to the book. Israel, Israel knew that what God said matters. Let's pray that God will work that same conviction in our hearts. It is true that we let plenty of voices into our heads. What we watch, what websites we visit, what books or articles or blogs we may read or anything like that. And we allow these to shape what we think and how we act. But the truth is there is only one voice that must be allowed to shape what we think and how we act. And that is the voice of God found in His Word. And thirdly, we see that these people were impacted by what God said. Nehemiah 8, verses 8 and 9, verse 12, and on into chapter 9. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. The people heard from God in His Word And what they heard cut them to the heart. They heard about the holiness of God, and they saw their own sinfulness in light of His holiness. They were tempted to despair because they forgot about the grace of God. But Nehemiah, Ezra, and the other leaders reminded them of the good news that God is gracious. Lastly, I want to look at Psalm 119. I wanted to read this whole thing but I didn't leave myself time to do that. I I encourage you to go home this afternoon later this evening and take the uh, 15 or 20 minutes that it will take you to read Psalm 119. And just notice how this psalmist received God's Word. How How did he view God's Word I read, I read about a a video filmed by a missionary to China. It showed a group of native Christians receiving a copy of the Bible in their own language. These men and women were so excited because for many of them it was the first time that they had the Bible in their own language, and it was the first time having their own personal copy of the Bible. The video, the video showed them tearing into the box like children at Christmas. And they were laughing and weeping and holding their copy of God's Word like it was the most valuable treasure in all the world. It's one of those videos that makes you, that makes you both smile at their joy and to groan at your own lack of passion for God's Word. Psalm 119 contains that same passion for God's Word. It reads like a love poem about the Bible. The author is clearly infatuated with God and His Word, and he wants everyone who reads this psalm to know exactly how he feels about God and His Word. Psalm 119 is also a call to our convictions to get us to consider our love for God's Word, if there be any love for it at all. It gets us to examine our desire to read and study and meditate on the Bible so that we may be sanctified. Psalm 119 is a poem that is directed both to our mind and our heart. It is a poem that is meant to make us more like its human and divine author. Psalm 119 is a long love poem. It contains 176 verses and 315 lines. And all of it is built around that one theme of love for God and His Word. At nearly the center of this psalm is Psalm 97, which says, Oh, how I love your law, I meditate on it. All the day. I would say that this is perhaps the theme verse of this psalm. And herein lies the conviction of the psalmist for his God and his Word. Notice where his love is placed in God's law. It is a love that is meant to be from the heart. This isn't a cold distant feeling. This is a love of the heart, a love that cherishes and values. It is a love that is worthy of poem. But this love isn't meant to just be internal. The psalmist also says, it is my meditation all the day long. This love is in both heart and mind. The idea of meditation here is of thinking it through, trying to mine all the gold that you can from it, I liken it to a cow with its cud. A a cow will chew its cud until it gets all the nutrients that it can from it. And if you don't like that image, maybe you could alternately think about it as mental chewing gum. The psalmist is the same with God's Word. He reads it, he studies it, he thinks about it, he prays about it, and then he repeats it all over again. He's going to take all that he can from Scripture. The psalmist's reading of the Bible wasn't cursory and quick. Rather, perhaps we can imagine him at his desk, bent over his copy of God's Word, and he has this look of intent concentration on his face. And he's he's nodding as he reads. And he's nodding his head as he reads it, and he rereads the Bible. His act of reading the Bible was to take all that he could from it. What a wonderful conviction of heart and mind. The example of this psalmist is there for us to emulate, for it is the same example that Christ set. To Jesus, God's Word is what we live by. You think of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. It is what he prayed would sanctify us, as he said in John 17 and verse 17. It is what Jesus said is the measurement of our love in John 14, 15 by keeping his commandments. And it was what was on his lips as he died on the cross. When he quoted Psalm 22, when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As you and I continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... We can only properly grow when our hearts and our minds are set upon God's Word. And we, like the psalmist, confess with our heart and our mind, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So I want to leave you with uh, these, I'll call them practical suggestions first anytime the Bible is being read or taught follow along with your Bible I know in a sense we are and in a sense we are not students oh yes you you are but uh, I'm talking to the whole group (laughs) Many of us look at studenthood as a thing that we did years ago. But in reality, we should be students of God's Word until the day we die. And I don't know any student who's really interested and in wanting to learn who doesn't show up to class without their textbook. And any student that I ever knew who wanted to excel who really wanted to grasp all they could, they made notes. They showed up with notebook and pencil so that they could, like I said, hearing is one form of putting it into into your mind, writing it is another. And then they could later use that, those notes for reference. Or if they had questions, they could follow up and ask later. Asking other students. I still remember the physics classes that I barely passed because of a young student named Dean who got it. And the rest of us did it. But you know where we were in the evenings. We were in Dean's dorm room trying to figure out how to get enough knowledge into our head to pass the test so we didn't have to take it a second time. But that's what, That's what people who want to learn, who want to uh, excel, who want to grow in that field, they show up with their books, they show up with pencil and paper, and they're engaged. Is that true? Should it be any less true for us when we show up to study God's Word together? I think not. And I know that may not be the pattern that you were taught uh, by your parents. It may not be the pattern that you've practiced for the last year or two or, or uh, uh, 30 or 40 or 50. But uh, now might be a good time to inhabit new practices because, because we want to receive the effective teaching and preaching of God's Word so that it can have its full effect. Are you being fed spiritually? There are two components needed to answer this question. Is God's Word being communicated to you, and are you receiving it as you should? Are you investing enough of yourself to humbly accept the Word planted in you, which is able to save your soul? That's only a question that you can answer. If there is some way that we can help you in your walk with Jesus, uh, let me or let someone else know afterward, or you can come forward right now while we stand and see.